Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Sex trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. But Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Six to this A thunderous dunk. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. And connecting with me now, live via Zoom, coming off the worst loss of the Cavs season, at least by margin of defeat, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? I don't think I'd caught that it was the worst of the season by margin. It sure felt like the worst of the season, Justin. I'm I'm pretty sure their largest margin of defeat for the season was actually 15, which in the three-point era, uh, 60 games into the season is is kind of hard to believe, uh, just with the way that teams can get hot and whatnot. And that likely had a lot to do with the defense that the Cavs have been playing for the majority of the season. That was not the case against the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, the yeah. Cavs gave up way too many easy baskets. And it's one of those situations where you give up easy looks, teams will gain confidence when you start playing defense. They are probably more likely to hit some contested shots after they've seen a few go in. Um, As Phil Jackson would say, Mo is a bitch. Uh, And that was certainly the case uh, against the Charlotte Hornets. Um, I I do think we need to start off, though, uh, before we get into the Cavs' role in that loss. I think we need to give the Charlotte Hornets some credit. Because that absolutely is absolutely not. No, because that is a, a very, very good offensive team. On the last podcast, I even went so far to uh, tell our buddy Andrew Sharp that I believe in a one-game uh, play-in that they could beat the Brooklyn Nets on the right night. Um, that's that's a team that gets really hot, um, and the Cavs certainly didn't do themselves any favors. But I do think that in general, we can have a tendency to make everything about ourselves. If a team is that doesn't sound like us. If a if a team is scoring against us, it's about our defense. If we're not scoring well, it's never about the other team's defense. It's about our offense not being up to snuff. And I, I think it's worth giving Charlotte some credit in this equation. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought they played a good game. But with that said, I mean, I think all the slippage that we've been seeing on the defensive end of the ball really reared its head in this game. Just really, I mean, not to go... Um, you know, seventh grade basketball coach on you, but just some really poor fundamentals on that side <laughs> of the ball. You know, I think there has been a lot of talk about effort and intensity and, you know, tired legs. I think there were some tired minds out there. I thought they actually were working pretty hard. Mm-hmm. They were not working smart, Justin. Yeah. They were, I can count on, I can count on, you know, one hand, the amount of on balance closeouts in that game i mean they were they were flying at you know 35 percent three-point shooters like they were steph curry and you know as much as the two tower uh lineup in the middle is great at covering mistakes it was just constant sieves uh all, all night and it got the Cavs killed on the boards or uh, got the Cavs killed in the mid-range uh terry rogier got to whatever spot he wanted Mm-hmm. Uh, and killed them with floaters. Um, they were terribly um, 
disorganized and transitioned defensively, which was more like what we saw at the beginning of the year where, you know, they weren't getting back, you know, their floor balance was poor oftentimes. And, you know, against an offense like Charlotte, you know, like they killed good defense and the Cavs certainly did not play good defense in that game. Yeah, I I mean, the Tower City lineup works to cover up uh, when a perimeter player gets by someone and they're they're penetrating into the perimeter it doesn't help cover up when you just have flat out miscommunication between two wings and i think you would see uh sometimes two man game between perimeter players that, that would generate open looks and they just the the communication just wasn't there on the defensive end of the floor uh i thought i remember one play in the the second half uh where garland seemed to think that they were running kind of a 3-2 zone and, and that mobley was going to be at the top of the zone and mobley was yelling at him no no it's man like get get on your guy and i i think to some extent uh it's somewhat understandable when you've had guys in and out of the lineup that there would be instances of miscommunication but i i just think the effort wasn't necessarily there uh throughout the course of the game and i i'm the actually this wasn't there yeah the, the focus wasn't there that, that's probably a better way of putting it but frankly i'm actually happy that the Cavs didn't come back in this one because i think they have gotten into a little bit of a trend of going down big and then turning on the defense in the fourth quarter coming away with a lot of these victories it happened in their west coast trip uh it happened throughout february um didn't didn't pull it off against minnesota but you know it was along that same script and for them to start to generate that comeback you're feeling good jetty hits a three garland hits a three then all of a sudden charlotte just hits a couple shots and buries you i i think that is actually a good experience can, can i get can i give you a can i give you a stat to support that take justin that i just pulled up go for it since february 1st the cavaliers have a minus 20.2 net rating in the first quarter Ooh. they are coming out flat flat Mm-hmm. as of late prior to that so the the season up to that point they had a plus 12.5 net rating in the first quarter they were blitzing teams yeah first, in the first and third part, in the were first their 50. best quarters right like they, they would yeah. come out of i i guess the the locker room in both instances sharp focused and, and playing good basketball and i i think to some extent they they really got away from that and you were probably part of the reason you were probably surprised that this was their largest margin of defeat on the season was they have gone down by 20 plus points multiple times this season they've just always had the ability to come back and, and this was not the case against the hornets yeah they i i think that ultimately you know they they have been kind of just slipping a little bit here and there here and there here and there and now we're seeing it, you know, I think, you know, you lose that 12 point margin to start the game. That gives you such a pad. Mm-hmm. It forces the other team to start playing a little more desperate. And the Cavs have kind of been just clawing back. I mean, like, I mean, should we just jump into kind of the, the, the wider issues we're seeing with the team and kind of, because to me, I think a lot of fans are kind of delineating the Ricky Rubio injury as like the end of the good vibes era for the Cavs mm-hmm. where it's gotten a little bit rougher and you know the numbers do bear that out um they are they were 20 and 14 before Ricky was hurt they're 16 and 12 since so honestly that's not that much worse I think that's one percentage point worse mm-hmm. but they went from a plus 6.4 net rating which was fourth in the league to minus 0.01 which I believe is 17th yeah and and ultimately what we're seeing is just slippage. 
What I found interesting is I think if you had said, Carter, what's the problem? I would say Ricky's been out. Darius has been out. They can't score. They're mm-hmm. scoring. They have the exact same offensive rating as they had in the uh, pre-Rubio and post-Rubio. 109.8. The, the biggest difference is that that was 12th in the league uh, to uh, at, for the, that first you know 34 game, 35 game stretch. But the rest, of the, we knew offense was down around the league, mm-hmm. but offense has kicked back up. Yeah, now, that same rating that was twelfth in the league is now twenty third in the league. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, their defense has slipped indisputably, and we're starting to see the results. I mean, do you think it's a Ricky thing, or do you think it's a, a wider issue? I, I think there's some correlation and there's some causation. I wouldn't put it all on Ricky. Like I, I do feel that there is definitely. You, you feel the absence of having that additional ball handler, having someone with the uh, intelligence and the basketball IQ that Ricky Robio brought to the table. Um, I, I think he, I, it's a really great point to bring up that the offensive rating is the exact same before and after Ricky, because there just hasn't been that offensive progression since he got down. Like I, I think if this team remained fully healthy as they continue to have more time together, as they develop chemistry with one another, you would expect that offensive rating to go up. And uh, given it the was injury, ticking up. Yeah. It, that's, like month by month. That, that's a great point. I, I think the offensive rating for Garland, Mobley and Allen was up to 113. Uh, or or even higher at one point. But you just haven't seen a lot of those guys together. In the month of February, Garland, Mobley, and Allen played 58 minutes together. And that's a, that's a trio that has played 20 minutes per game together. That is 100% a, a major factor when you're talking about this. And I, I just feel like having guys in and out of the lineup... Um, kind of the the lack of continuity, the lack of chemistry is really starting to catch up to them. And uh, the other thing that kind of jumps out to me, and I, I think I noticed this most with both Mobley and Okoro, with Garland and Ricky and Lavert and Rondo out of the lineup, these guys are being asked to do more on the offensive end of the floor. And you only have so much energy. You you can only do so much on the basketball court. And I, I think some of their effort has been swapped from defense to offense, where they're trying to go out there and create. They're trying to, to uh, force the issue. Mobley has had more possessions where he dribbles for 8, 9, 10 seconds uh, but before getting a field goal attempt up. And I, I think it has had a negative effect on their, uh, on their individual defense. And also the fact that the offense is dropping off you get more transition opportunities against you, right? Like the offense and defense often are more linked uh, than people realize. And and I I do think that with them kind of slipping on the offensive end of the floor and not really having those easy buckets and and working for everything has kind of taken its toll on the defensive end of the floor. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. Um, The the continuity, I think specifically, has been the number one pain point here. Since February 1st, the Cavs' top five-man lineup has played 30, 34 minutes together, and it involves Brandon Goodwin. The top two lineups have each played 34 minutes. Both involve <laughs> Brandon Goodwin, the team's two-way point guard. Like, yeah. I, I think we can't rule out not just that Ricky's been out, but that they've played so many games without Darius. Yep, I think there is a collective kind of wear and tear with them. He's the um, most valuable player. Like, it, yeah, you can say that plainly at this point. Like, it, it's and just losing position groups is so devastating. Like, you know, like 
I mean, we were kind of arguing, me and you, during the Detroit game, because you're like, they should be good enough to win this. And like, yep. I'm like, yeah, I get it. But also, like, it's not just being down four or five players. It's being down four and five of the exact same kinds of players. Mm-hmm. So it, it's been a little unfortunate. The thing that's weird, though, is I don't really think there's one thing that you can point to from a slippage perspective that, that where you go, oh, that's why they haven't been playing as well as yeah. of late. I mean... Pre-Rubio, they were fourth in assist rate. Post-Rubio, they're seventh. So it's not like they've fallen off in terms of the their, the way their offense works. Their turnover rate always stunk. Uh, mm-hmm. It was 26th. Uh, now it's 28th. So they've turned over a little bit more. Maybe that uh, maybe that kills you. Opponent turnover rate, that has definitely fallen a good amount. They went from 10th in the league to 17th in terms of forcing turnovers. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's where you start to see some of the defensive slippage. One thing... I was very much expecting to see because it felt like the Cavs just have not been getting a good whistle. Um, they were third pre-Rubio uh, injury in opponent free throw rate. They're first now. They're actually getting the best whistle in the league uh, per, per the numbers, which really surprised me. I thought that if there was a real indicator of slippage, it would be in, in the margins of, oh, they're no. just giving up more free throws. No, they're not. I, I, I ref- Honestly... It, that stat being true just goes to show like if you remove the egregious whistles like the, the Isaac Okoro once again in, in Minnesota there there was a missed call in the two minute report like once or twice a game there is one ridiculous call against the Cavs if you removed those kind of erroneous calls they are probably setting like a historical pace for not fouling like it, it is J.B. Bickerstaff got his money's worth against Charlotte, and I I think that was more of a collective thing. I I wouldn't be surprised if half of his frustration was with how the team itself was playing, but that man has been losing his mind on the sideline all season because there has been so many timely calls going against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and it's a a very frustrating thing to go through. Um, Personally, I would have liked it if he used his challenge a little more than he did. Uh, that that Isaac Okoro one jumps out to me. Um, but you know what? I, I I do think that there was probably some gamesmanship there with him kind of making up his mind that this is the point where I'm going to get ejected because I've never been ejected before. Let's see if this lights a fire under the team. And it did. They did kind of respond it and play well after that. But kind of the, the damage was already done at that point where Charlotte already had confidence. They already had momentum. They hit a couple more tough shots, big threes, and put the Cavs out of it. And I, I will point once again, Carter, to the fact that I mentioned it on the pod before, but Charlotte, better with LaMelo on the bench, once again, came true. Yeah. That, that, foul, that, foul, that, didn't... that foul trouble really hurt the Cavs, man. I'll tell you what, it, it must have. I don't know, man. <laughs> I... I just think ultimately we're just seeing slippage. Like, I wish I could just say, oh, it's because Kevin's getting attacked more on defense. Like, maybe he is, but, like, I don't think that's the reason. I think it's a cumulative effect. You know, you lose Ricky's point of attack and organization of the defense. Mm-hmm. Um, you see Evan, maybe with some heavy legs, maybe some some scouting reports. Going, I mean, guys are going in his chest right now and scoring yeah. in a way that the first three months of the season, it was like, nope. 
Yeah. So o- like, only certain vets would do it. Like uh, Harold, Batum, some of those guys kind of really stood out as going into him. But I, I definitely think to, to some extent there's film on it. And some of, some of the issues with Mobley, I don't think are going to be corrected this year. And this is 100% picking nits because we're, we're talking about one of the more polished rookies that we've seen. But, but when this it com- matters. It, it right. does matter. It, it does yeah, matter. They're but, trying but, to win right now. Right. Um, so if I'm pointing at some of the stuff, I don't think he's going to get better at setting screens this year. Um, him boxing out and, and not being kind of physical and really putting a body on a guy, I, I think, does cost him from time to time. And the other thing that stands out is he's got to be a little more sure-handed in traffic. I, I think there's been too many uh, times this season where he's kind of already thinking of the next move and he bobbles the ball and, and turns it over. There's a couple against Charlotte. And I mean, it's partly how the game is recorded by the statisticians. Uh, that's a tough word for me. I I, I almost fumbled over it. Uh, well, I definitely fumbled over it, but um, I, he was, he had no turnovers on the night, even though he definitely did because he bobbled some catches. And I, I think that's something that we've routinely seen this year, but I do think some of what we're seeing with Mobley is him testing what he can and can't do. And I, I think as this team gets healthier and you get Garland back, you get Lavert back, Lowry's now back in the mix. I, I think guys are going to need to settle back into the roles that they had earlier in this season. And I, certainly there's going to be times where you want Mobley initiating. You want him uh, to be that outlet when teams trap Garland or Lavert. Uh, you want him to continue to grow in those ways. But I, I do think as we get healthier, everyone needs to settle back into their roles. And earlier in the season, I feel like their roles were so clearly identified. Everyone understood what their responsibilities were. were. And I, I think right now guys are kind of freelancing a little bit too much and just trying to get something just, going because they probably I just don't f- know about that, man. Like, I think they, they probably don't f- feel the slip like they probably feel the slippage that we're seeing. Right. And everybody as a competitor wants to go out there and make the play. And I, I think understanding what the hierarchy is and, and rediscovering their chemistry is going to be really important for these last 20 games. I just don't know if I agree with this one. I think that, you know, such a big part of that early season role was having a guy like Rubio who was also organizing the offense, you know. I think we're understating that Karras hasn't played, like, at all mm-hmm. for for this team. Um, he was kind of supposed to be the, the, the saving grace from the ball handling perspective because, like, what I don't want to do, it, when I hear that, it makes me nervous from the perspective of I don't want the heliocentric Darius show. I don't either. You know, like, and I think that, you know, like... To, to be I, clear, I that's not what are... I was saying by this. Like, I, I was talking about early season chemistry where everybody w- would kind of create the... There was better movement. Like, I, I actually thought the offensive movement looked better early on against Charlotte, but then it, it kind of broke down as the game started to slip away from... Became the, the Darius show. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I don't know. I think they're... I think teams are scouting out some of their pet actions... Their post entries are, are are late right now. Yeah, like guys are getting switches, and the Cavs are holding that one beat too long, and a lot of stuff's getting blown up. That was kind of their pet stuff. I also think, like to some extent, like teams just are like, okay, we're gonna have to play a good game. We're playing the Cavs. Yeah. Like this is all that JB. It's so funny because it's all JB wanted was for teams to have, to to know that when they had to play the Cavs, they were gonna have to work their butts off. That is one hundred percent part of it. And, and now teams are working their butts off. Like it's way harder to win when teams are expecting to have to fight to win. 
I mean, Charlotte is a desperate team. Like, they are a team that's currently in the play. And at worst case scenario, they probably want to at least be the nine seed uh, so that they have home court in that first playing game. But they're probably trying to get to eight. They're they're not that far away. So you're going to be playing some really, really hungry teams. And I think it's an unfortunate thing where the Cavs took their foot off the gas a little bit at the same time that other teams are putting their foot on the gas. And this is very, very important for them to start learning how to win in the regular season because the, early in the year, they were the team with a chip on their shoulder. They were coming out here trying to prove prove themselves, show that uh, they're legitimate, that they could be a playoff team. And I think some of the slippage we're seeing now would have occurred with or without all the injuries. Like we talked about it when they were playing well. We said that there was going to be times where this team loses to a team that they shouldn't, where they just stop playing well for a week or two. I I do think that people that are tying this all into a larger trend right now, like that, okay, the last month, uh, like looking at the last month stats and saying, this is who the Cavs actually were. This is regression back to the, uh, the mean. I don't think that that's accurate because, once again, they played 58 minutes with their three best players together. They lost uh, Ricky Rubio, uh, Sexton, all these other ball handlers. Lowry was out of the lineup for the majority of February as well. I don't think that that's fair. And and I understand that confirmation bias is really tempting in these situations, especially for those that predicted the Cavs would not be good this year. And were a little annoyed that everyone was victory lapping earlier in the season. I understand that that's a temptation, and and there's probably some element to it. I do think that there are so many factors that came into play that caused this slump, and I I don't necessarily think that this is something that they can't pull themselves out of. Uh, If I can read some of the quotes after the game, uh, J.B. Bickerstaff cited that the hardest thing to do in the NBA is sustain success. He said that the team is playing comfortable, like they've accomplished something, and that's part of young teams developing, learning how to go over 82 games and play with consistent intensity. Darius Garland also spoke up about it. Uh, These quotes, uh, thank you to Evan Damrell for transcribing them, uh, because I I hate transcribing. He said, we are playing soft. We've given up 38 points in a quarter twice this week. That's unacceptable. You'll see. You're going to see changes. Yeah, I think this is an interesting challenge because... This is the first time this season where, like, yeah, they're still banged up. Like, they're still missing Rondo. They're still missing Levert. But I think this is really the first stretch of the season where they've had the tools to win, and they're not really able to get themselves into gear. Yep. And this happens to every team. Like, it just happens to be at the worst possible time for the Cavs, you know, to, mm-hmm. to be having the stretch as the rest of the East is really starting to gear up and, and push for playoff positioning. Um, but, you know, it's a good challenge for this team. It's really easy to play with joy when things are going well and things are, and, you know, like you're you're the fun upstart team that's annoying the 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 wily veteran team and you're you, like... You've had and, five months to hype yourself up. That yeah, you've you're training the irritant. And getting ready for this. Yeah, like it's it's so much easier to be the fun irritant than the team that needs to take care of business. Yeah, you know, and there's a certain like you have to find a way to 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 generate that joy because I feel like joy is a real fuel for mm-hmm. this team. You could see them in that Hornets game coming out of the second half. They're clapping. They're trying to smile and and, and amp themselves up. I think they're trying to find kind of the, their energy right now. Yep. Um. Just, just kind of watching the body language, and like you know, we actually don't know what if 
what this team looks like when they're playing pissed off. Mm-hmm. Like, because clearly they're they're pissed with themselves. You know, Seems is that, that is that the way they're gonna? Is are they going to be able to kind of drive themselves that way, or do they need to kind of let loose again and have some fun? I think these are challenges from a chemistry perspective that JB's got to figure out, that Darius has to figure out as a leader, and that the rest of the, this young core has to figure out because things are not coming easy to them right now, even when things are in their favor. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing to me. Like, these slumps can happen, and in a lot of ways, an NBA season can kind of feel a lot like an NBA game itself, where there are ebbs and flows. You can have a lull where you're just not playing well, and all it takes is maybe a a Jetty three-pointer or a Garland three-pointer in the one game, and all of a sudden you have a Cavalanche. You can have the same thing with a run of bad play, where all of a sudden you just get that one quality win that everything just starts to feel a little bit good, and you start oh, stacking. Oh, that, oh, there you are, Peter. Yeah, kind it, of, it, kind exactly. Of you, you start su- stacking successes upon one another, and eventually you're kind of back into a rhythm. So how long it takes for the Cavs, to pull out of this slump is going to be very interesting to me. Uh, the level of focus they come out in Friday's game against Philadelphia is going to be really interesting. A uh, p- couple positive notes for that. Garland is not listed on the injury report. It's even questionable. Big positive there. Also, Lowry Markkinen, who appeared to hurt his ankle uh, against Charlotte, is not even listed on the injury report as well. Uh, so both will be active for Friday's game. Karis LeVert, Rajon Rondo, both will be out. Uh, But that is obviously very important as they go into a big matchup against Philadelphia. And I got to say, like, if we are looking for positives, Garland has missed a good amount of time recently. But that man was. But the games that he's played have been really good. Like the 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 last, oh my goodness, the, the last, uh, I, I think since the end of January, Garland is averaging 29.3 points per game, shooting 58.5% from the floor, 51.7% from three. Uh, the one thing that I, I would point out, though, is he is averaging more turnovers than assists over that stretch, which I, I guess some of that you can attribute to being in and out of the lineup, um, just kind of the, the lack of continuity that the Cavs have been dealing with, but that needs to be better. And sure, some of those are big men fumbling passes and, and the the situations I illustrated before, but Garland needs to be better. He needs to be a little bit more responsible with the basketball. And I, I think once this team kind of settles into a better balance, uh, a, a more kind of varied offensive attack, I think it's going to make life easier for him. I think it's going to make life easier for the team overall. And once you start getting that mojo going offensively, I think it's going to benefit the defense as well. Yeah, and that's the thing uh, when you're looking at why has the defense slipped. Yeah, there's some personnel stuff. There's some inconsistency stuff. There's personnel coming on and off the floor stuff. There's also just frankly, like it's really hard to score when you turn the ball over more or to defend when you turn the ball over more or, you know, are trying to play a high-low game and and kind of you know force up a challenge shot that and and the other team gets a five on four going back i i just think like a a pick six kills your momentum like and there's been too many of those yeah so i just think like you look at their defensive numbers and like if if they're just able to i think they are expending so much energy mentally as of late just trying to find ways to generate decent looks Mm mm-hmm and like I think that that's one of those intangible effects of on the defense where it's like, oh, now we got to go play like defense. 
which is like the actually way harder part. And we just had to like work our butts off to, to generate a Kevin Love, you know, 14 foot <laughs> mid post. Yeah. Like it's just very draining to play that kind of game. Like you have to be so mentally tough. It's the dog days of the season. Like, I just think like, you know, the, these are things. Well, that I, I disagree. Hope... I don't think these are the dog days. So like, if you're talking well, about what went yeah, wrong over February we're past the dog days. Yeah. 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 I, I was about to say, this is, yeah. we are no longer in marathon season. We are in sprint. And this is the first time that a lot of these guys have been playing in ma- meaningful games this late in their, uh, in a season. It's basically Kevin Love, Karis LeVert, Rajon Rondo, I guess Jetty. Um, but that's probably a little generous because he wasn't playing a big role in 2018. And uh, I, I think I said Jared Allen too, but uh, you didn't. It's, but you e- did either now. way, yeah, J- Jared Allen. So it's a lot of these guys going through this experience for the first time. And I do think, as much as we've talked about this year, they need to learn how to play in the playoffs. That experience is going to be invaluable. This is also really invaluable. All of these games are going to really matter. A lot of these games are going to be playoff-like atmospheres with a lot of, on the table, a, a lot of stakes there. And I, I think win, lose, or draw, that's going to be a very, very important thing for this group to go through. And if they make the path more difficult than it needs to be, they have to live with those consequences. And they're going to have to come out and maybe steal a game after blowing one that they shouldn't blow. Uh, Sunday's game against Toronto is going to be massive. Um, Toronto is also a team that is going through a rough stretch of play. They lost by 32 to Charlotte. They lost by 27 to Atlanta. Yes, they just won back-to-back games uh, against Brooklyn, but that was Brooklyn without Kyrie, Durant, Simmons, Drummond. Like uh, they, they just kind of scraped out a couple wins there against a very, very banged-up team. Um, but they're also going through some injuries. Fred Van Vliet's got a, a knee issue. OG Ananobi is out for two weeks here. Like uh, Boston's now without Jalen Brown as they play Memphis and Brooklyn. Like I, I do think it's important, as much as we want to focus on the Cavs fixing what's wrong with themselves, it's also important to note that like other teams are going through issues as well, and we're just we can't just assume that Boston and Toronto is going to win every game here moving forward. The important thing is winning those games against them. And I I think Sunday against Toronto, that's their only home game over the last five games, I believe. That is a game that absolutely needs to be a win for them. Yeah, it's um, it's, uh, definitely uh, sweaty palms time. Like, I'll say this, you know, the best part about this is that the worst case scenario, it, it, it stinks, don't get me wrong, but the worst case scenario is they go get land in the plan and you know get unlucky and lose lose you know in in the plan don't don't make it to the top 8 mm-hmm. and what's so nice is thank god kobe lottery protected the first so like you know like they still have like that basically means they have two you know they they, they have an extra thing to play with in the off season whether it's a pick or 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 you know an extra asset to play with um, and like, that's the worst case scenario. The worst yeah. case scenario is that this team is picking like 13th. Oh no. Well, can you imagine if you told us that at the beginning of the season? So like, yes, it would sit, it would stink. I really don't want it to happen, but like they're insulated. Now, what I think is more likely is that they fall into that a spot. But like, if you fall into the a spot, Justin, you have to be ready to, to not make the playoffs. Yeah, you I, have to be ready because it's a one or two game playoff. Like, come on, this is this is it's not that unreasonable. 
I feel like I feel like you're still so sure they're going to be in the top eight. And it's just like if they fall into the playing mix, it's inherently so chaotic that like all bets are off at that point. I don't even want to act like it's out of confidence that they're going to avoid the play-in. I just don't find that conversation that interesting right now. Like, for me, there I don't want to talk about how this season's already a success. It's found money. Like, we have it's proof certainly, of concept. certainly, yeah. No, but I'm like, not interested in that no, either. Yeah, so I, I don't have a whole lot of interest in that because I understand that that is going to be kind of the main talking point. Whether Even if they win around this year that's going to be the main talking point we know that we have found a, a core here that is sustainable don't give me those eyes if, they, if we went around i'm, I'm throwing a party <laughs> oh we're, so we're throwing a party but still it's still a found bunny season that doesn't necessarily guarantee anything look at look at atlanta right like there is still yeah. going to be steps after that um but my, my point is I understand that that's going to be the conversation now, and I'm very aware of the possibility of falling in the plan. I just don't find that that interesting to talk about right now because I'm focused on just the games that are in hand. I'm not going too far down the rabbit hole because if I'm angsting over the possibility of like a five-game losing streak, I am anxious and miserable over the concept of winning those games and then also reliving that misery as those games actually happen. And for me... With the way that I've learned how to cope with my anxiety and my depression throughout this pandemic, I try to stay a little bit more present and a little bit more in the moment. And for the Cavs, well, yeah, we're just talking about where the standings no, are. No, that's all. Don't don't I'm don't, not, you, I'm not. don't you cut off. Don't you, you cut off me. I, I'm sermonizing here. G- give me the Clearly. one box. Give me the one box. We can, okay, give me the one box. Give, I'm, give, I'm give so me a positive. second. Give me a second. Give yeah. me a second. <laughs> I, I've basically already said my rant, but what what I'm saying is like this can turn at any point this season. Uh, like you look at how the Cavs have played throughout this year, they have gone through tough stretches and they have shown how resilient they are, whether it's in a game or bouncing back after a four game losing streak. Cavs have done that time and time again. And I'm just so interested in how they respond in the moment, how they respond to each individual game. And Carter continues to zoom closer and closer in on my hideous mug, which is miserable, but That's a good bit. That's a good bit for those uh, listening on YouTube. Um, but my my whole point is just kind of staying a little more present and not spiraling because this can turn at any point. And I'm just so interested in how they respond to each individual game that I'm not thinking about, oh, well, you know, this season's found money or they, they could fall into the plan. It's very, very possible. I understand those realities, but I, I've also seen this turn so many times that I'm just not going to sit here and stress about it yet. Like, I, I am just... 100% focused on Friday as if I myself was playing. I just want to briefly complain that I, I just got straw man. I think, you know what you're doing? You're sermonizing to Carter who was panicking in the DMs last night. Cause all I was doing was reacting to you talking about the other teams around them in the standings, man. This is, this is some hit dog stuff because I was actually talking to the audience, Carter. I, I'm oh, a man no, of the you people. Were not. No, I am a man you of were people. not. You were rolling your eyes at me talking about playing time. That's all. All I'm saying is, don't, don't you say that, my friend. Hey, I was it, getting it was scolded. already, it was already in the show notes, baby. The, the, that rant was, was coming scolded. out, whether or not you did that. But I, I, I will admit, the the angsting part was 100 percent directed at you because you 100%, are 100. I've been angsty lately. You are very angsty, and I, I just like I don't want to focus on big picture yet. 
because there's 20 games left. That is so much season. As much as this is a sprint, that is so much damn season. And Listen, yeah. I, I need an outlet for my angst, though. You just happen to be a safe space for it because I okay. can't tweet it anymore yeah. or yeah. people will scold me. Yeah, just just bombard the guy that deals with anxiety. That, that's, oh, that's, oh, yeah. oh my I, god! I'm, I'm, I'm going to play that card right there. Unbelievable. Uh, okay. Let's let's get this back on the tracks here. Um, I actually want to ask you. I, I assume you listened to the last podcast with Andrew. Of course, I did. What What did it you think? Lovely. What did you think of the Isaac Okoro talk? Because I, I do think that Okoro. Uh, the Okoro storylines and conversations have kind of been overshadowed after that loss for understandable reasons. But I do think that there is a very interesting kind of dialogue to be had about Okoro. And for me, like, I, I think Andrew went maybe a little bit too far. Uh, he is a takesman after all. He did, in fact, say that Andre Drummond would be more important than Ben Simmons. It's what he does. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't go to the extent he did of, I don't know if Okoro is going to be a starter uh, in the league moving forward. But what did you kind of make of that conversation? And where are you at on Okoro currently? I get why you would have that take, I think is what I would say. Like, mm-hmm. I think that... Okoro stock holders live in the margins right now. The catch-all stats don't really look that good for him. The night-to-night obvious impact doesn't look that good for him. So what you're saying is, you know, if you're a stockholder, which I think we both are to varying degrees, mm-hmm. um, you know, like it's, you see, oh, he won them that game down the stretch with his defense, you know, um, and those moments do kind of stick out in your brain. Um, and you also, I think if you're, if you're a stockholder as well, you see just how little it would take for it all to click, you Mm -hmm. know, if that 32% three point percentage got to 35, which is not a, I no no small task, but it's been done before. Yeah. Um, and if you see him up at 35, then all of a sudden if, and if he's only, if he's 36 from the corner, just that, just, just if he's Bruce Bowen, you know, and as a corners only kind of shooter, all of a sudden things feel very, very different for him. Yeah. So like to that end, I just don't agree. But like, if you're, if you're not a, a diehard cast fan, you just look at the numbers, you look at, you look at and you go, yep, I'm not really seeing it. Um. So like, I, I get it. I think it's, I think it's fair from Andrew. I don't think I necessarily agree mm-hmm. because I do see the path there. It's just, I, it's just hard to like, it's hard for me to get that worked up about it when it's like, well, the numbers aren't very good right now. And, you know, like he does hurt the spacing when he's out there right now. So like you kind of, it's not the craziest conclusion. Like our buddy, David uh, Zavak on Twitter all the time is relatively critical of Isaac. And it's like, I get it. Yeah, (laughs) I get it. Yeah. It's so interesting because I, I do think there's a parallel between Okoro and early Tristan Thompson where they look better with more talent around them, that they sure. complete a lineup. You appreciate the little things that they do more when everybody else knows their role, they're contributing, you have enough offense around them. When it's year two, Tristan Thompson, and there isn't anybody that can create, and you don't like doing the little things when you're down 15 doesn't really matter as much. Like it does matter, but you're not going to appreciate the same way as a fan, right? So, Okoro is such an interesting case because normally what we're used to seeing with young players is the stats coming before the impact. 
that we can see what they're doing on the court and they need to learn how to win. Okoro is almost approaching it from another direction where the impact is there, but just the stats aren't like he's not even a big stocks guy in terms of steals and blocks, but you look at some of the basketball index numbers and he's rated as a top five on ball defender. And one of the guys that gets the toughest matchups in the league night to night. I, I think that that's meaningful but for me, when it comes to Okoro, I feel like his skills need to reach where he sees the game at. Because I think he sees the game really well. I just don't think he has the handle right now to go out there and capitalize on what he's seeing. Like you Kind see, of an inverse Colin Sexton right? early in, in his career. In, in a lot of ways, yes. And I, I don't know necessarily what to do with that. I completely understand skepticism and like Okoro's not someone that I'm going to die on the hill fighting for him, but I also see the upside at the same time, right? Like if that handle comes along, like I, I almost think the handle is more important than the jump shot. It's not an either or proposition. It's not like, okay, Isaac's just going to dribble all off season and he's not going to take any jumpers, right? Like you, you can put the same number of hours into both and one skill is just going to progress more than the other because that's human nature. That's how bodies <laughs> and people work. But I, I do think like if I had to pick one, I really think if he had a little bit more juice off the dribble, if he was able to create and if he had a little more control, that would have made a really big difference this season because there have been plenty of opportunities where if he could create, they would be able to utilize that skill set. And that just hasn't been the case. So I do think that there's criticism to be had. I, I think it's a very interesting scenario because there's not a lot of players that come in like this. Um, but I, I did think that it was at least a worthwhile conversation to have. I think ultimately, like, you just want to see something offensively take take a jump, you know? He's taken little, little jumps, little progressions. You just need... Uh, you need him to have something he can count on out there. Yeah. Whether whether it's the handle, whether it's the jumper, um, it and it's just not there right now, and it's going to make it hard for the team to like really commit to him in, in the short term. From a you know, and treating him like a core member, like Darius, like Evan, like Jarrett. Like and realistically, like, you know, he's their third best shooting guard, right? And he's been tasked with starting and playing a more prominent goal. Why why are you squinting? I, I had to do num. I had to do maths. Yeah, Le- I, I wasn't Levert sure if you were counting. Colin, Colin Levert, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I Le- just had to think about it. Yeah, it's, but we were in a scenario there where if you really look at it, if you're going by just who's the best player, we we're down to our third string point guard and shooting guard. And I, I think that's why I'm not necessarily connecting the loss against Charlotte and the ways that they lost to the ways that they lost other games in February. Like, I, I just sure. don't think that that's too productive because I, I think it's too totally, different. There are some things kind of through lines and connections and and, uh, some of the stuff did carry over. But I I do think as they get whole, they're going to be at a bit of a disadvantage because some of these other teams they're playing against and that they're competing against in the standings will have more chemistry than them. But how quickly they are able to kind of refine that spark and kind of ignite the fire that they had and figure out how to play with one another, the quicker that learning curve is and the shorter that curve is, uh, the better of a position I think they're going to be in. Because relatively speaking, as tough as this March schedule is, some of these other teams have much worse. You look at what Philly has to go through. You look what Boston has to go through. Even Toronto's got a lot of tough games. 
this March stretch is going to see big shifts in the standings. And if they do fall to the play-in by mid-March, which is certainly possible, they're going to have to dig their way out the same way that those teams that are behind them right now are are fighting for their lives and clawing and uh, battling in every single one of these games. The Cavs are going to need to come out with that type of intensity if things do continue to slide. That's why I haven't been standings watching very much the last week or so because I'm just like, okay, balls in your court, Cavs. Win enough games, you know? Like when, when I was hoping they would... You know, when it feels like a long way since we've been talking about chasing the one seed, but when they were See, in that, you know what? That's that's what it is. Sorry to cut you off. You went too high when they were high, and now you're going too low when they're losing. They were and, a game back. What are we talking about? You no, know, I, I and I was telling you, there's probably going to be some slippage. I'm not going to go that far just yet. I was the yeah, mild hey, manner con- one. Con- I'm, I'm congrats a little. For- Congrats on predicting Darius's back injury lingering. I'm really proud Anytime, of you, time, buddy. I, I will sit on the fence with the best of them. I, I, you know, but even then, you know, like then I was like, okay, well, they're probably not a one seed talent wise. So like, they're going to need some help. So I was very, very obsessively scoreboard watching, but now I'm just like win win games, win games. And the world will mostly work out for you at this point. Like the ball is so in their court. I, I think home court is probably out of the question at this point. They're just, they're just falling behind a little too far. Um, and if I had to put a gun to your head, if I put a gun to your head and said, predict what seed they're going to end up in, what, what would your prediction be? Seven, seven. Okay. Yeah. I think they're going to land at seven. No, Um, I'm I'm pretty confident six. I'm pretty confident six. That's, that's my prediction right now. And I hope you're right. That'd be way better. (laughs) I've already talked myself into that three, six series against the Chicago bulls. Like it. Actually, I asked Andrew that. I'm going to ask you. Would you rather be the sixth seed against Chicago or the fourth seed against Toronto or Boston? Fourth seed against Toronto or Boston. I want home court. We got the kids. Ah, no. I want I want six. I want six against Chicago. I, Toronto, I will would pick home court against because uh, I, I think the Cavs can beat Toronto. Uh, I think their half-court offense is going to be an issue in the playoffs. But Boston, with how well they've been playing, like they just kind of scare the hell out of me. And uh, I believe. So who who jumps the Cavs right now? Um, in your mind, because they're at five right now. So probably they're, Boston. They're six. Bo- so Boston. Boston jumps them, and Toronto and Brooklyn stay in the play-in. I think so because I, I mean Toronto has been playing their guys forty-two Brooklyn's minutes a night. Brooklyn's just so far back. Bro- Brooklyn's so far back. Um, uh, and Toronto's been playing their guys forty-two minutes a night. Fred VanVleet's got that knee issue that that's really kind of lingering and keeping him out of games. Uh, OG missing two weeks. Like they have not been a good team without OG this season. Uh, I think people kind of forget him because of how well Siakam and Fred are playing. But that 18 points per game from the perimeter, a little bit of juice. Um, I, I think that really, really matters. And Scotty's been playing out of his mind and he earned uh, that February rookie of the month. But I, I just think Toronto has less room for error and, and you're starting to see some cracks there. So I do think Sunday's game is going to be so important because that will guarantee the kind of the the season series tiebreaker over Toronto. They already have two wins over them. Uh, that's another kind of game between them and Toronto. And you win that game. I I, I feel pretty good about the chances of avoiding the play in. Yeah, um, I think that logic holds. I I, I totally uh, you know I would say I think seven seed at let's say. 55% confidence, you know, and I mm-hmm. think six is the other 45% uh, percent 
I, I, I don't think there's much of a chance. I, I would be surprised if they hold on to five because I think they're going to get their way out of this slump, but I think they might take a few more lumps on the way. It's possible. And and those lumps will make it hard to, you know, like they got to play like really great basketball the rest of the way to hold on to five or go higher. I mm-hmm. really think they have to play great, not just hold the line. And I think hold the line lands them at six or seven. I, I mean, and when I say hold the line, I don't mean like, like have they been playing? I mean, like, no. Back to their like average <laughs> standard for the season. Yeah, I I definitely understand that. I mean, that's kind of the the beauty and the pain of basketball, right? Like when it's going well, it feels like it's going to go well forever, and when it's going bad, it feels like you're never going to get out of that slump. Uh, and I, I definitely think that the the Cavs seem to be saying the right things. We'll see if they back it up because, I mean, at the end of the day, some of this does come down to experience, right? Like this was the stuff we pointed to as young teams need to learn. They need to learn how to win. Uh, when we talked about the possibility of winning 50 games, how difficult that is and, and how rare that is. And some franchises haven't touched that figure in decades, right? Like this is part of the process and this is going to be a stretch where Cavs aren't catching anyone by surprise. You're going to continue to get their best punch every single game. Even teams like Detroit and Indiana, they, they want to go out there and, uh, that's an in-division rival, right? They they want to give Cleveland their best shot. They want to play spoiler. Uh, the Cavs are used to playing spoilers in past years, and now they're the hunted. So how they respond to that dynamic, I, I think, is going to be really, really telling. And I, I think that experience is going to be invaluable and maybe even more valuable for a team this young than whatever experience they have in the playoffs. I really do think the battle to get in there, to fight in an Eastern Conference that's as good as it is, is a really, really valuable learning experience. Fighting through bad vibes is something good teams have to do. Yep. Um, and they are a little in the wilderness right now. I think that they're they're mad at themselves right now. Like mm-hmm. I, Again, I mentioned this earlier, but want to see what what kind of motivational tactics they're using to, to fight their way back to normalcy. They're going to try to... I think they're going to come out grumpy in their next game against Philly, and we'll see how that manifests. They might need, they might play grumpy for a few games and realize, oh man, this is actually making it worse. We gotta, we gotta so loosen mad up. For the whistle. I'm so mad already. Like they're gonna have, like you know, like there's. I just think like that's why I think they've got some more lumps to take. This mm. is the first time this season where they've been a little lost in the wilderness, and not just because guys are all, not just because they don't have anybody to play. Yep. Like you can tell, you can tell based on the post game quotes, this is the first time they feel this way. So, like, I just think they have no experience pulling themselves out of it. And, like, it's just going to take longer than we want it to. Um, and, and maybe they come out and beat Philly and I look like an idiot. Yeah. Um, but, like, that's just why I think they've got some more lumps to take. I think maybe this, 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 you know, stretch where they're, you know, they've lost five out of six, you know, maybe it's, seven out of 10 or eight, eight, eight out of 10. And then they start to find their way again. But I do think it's more likely that that happens and they kind of have to dig their way out than that. They just it, snap their fingers and it's good. Yeah. And moral of the story, get well, Karis LeVert. I, get I really, well, Karis. I, I really want to. I forget he's on the team sometimes. Poor I mean, guy. He's played three games. Like, of course you do. Like I, I, I it's, one of those things where he was terrible right before luck, the All Star break, and then that that poor poor practice that seemed to take out Karis and Garland. Like, no wonder uh, the vibes were bad. Yeah, <laughs> so the walking wounded out here, They're turning me into Allen Iverson. Practice? No, no, ne- never touch a basketball if it's not on camera. Um, yeah, it 
they'll they got reinforcements coming uh i i think there's some positives here obviously garland looking as good as he did is a major positive i think brandon goodwin's shown them some stuff jetty seems to be getting out of his slump uh kevin's played a little better lately so there's things to point to but ultimately they just need to flat out play better it's not a matter of adding guys to the rotation we saw against minnesota this is a team that was capable of generating offense which is what i was saying against detroit and against washington this is a team that you can point to guys being out but they could flat out play better and i i think that's the moral of the story and everyone's going to focus on transactions and, and like um guys in and out of the lineup but at the end of the day like Sometimes basketball just comes down to who wanted it more, who executed better, and who is playing better. And the cast need to play better. Moral of the story. Yeah, I I think JB would tell you that too. Um, so I, I think that they're saying the right things. Um, they're not they're not just crying injured. I think they know that they've been a little sloppy, and yep. it's going to be really interesting to see them pull their their way out of it. I mean, I think we've evaluated from just about every angle, and like ultimately, it's so funny that as much as we try to break it down find stats it's like just play better yeah. close be smarter yep uh you know be be balanced and sharp mentally and like a lot of this stuff kind of starts to take care of itself and that's what made this early season team so profoundly amazing is they were so steady like yeah. they wouldn't they, they were rattled. remarkably they, consistent they wouldn't fall down 20 um you know and like i think that steadiness has been a little disrupted and they got to go find it again. And I think they will. Yeah. Like, like uh, we've said this before, but when we bring up the stats and kind of the, the minutes played and all, all the factors that go into it, it's context, but it's not an excuse. And at the end of the day, like they just got to be better. And you know what? On that note, let's wrap this thing up. I, I do think uh, this is going to be a really big weekend. Obviously we'll, we will be back on Monday uh, you you'll be around, right, Carter? You're not going to spring a, another work trip on me. I think uh, I think you're stuck with me, buddy. Good, good, good. Because I I am terrible at paying attention, and I never know when you're off. So that's oh, this that's last good to one hear. was my fault. This last one was my fault. So. <laughs> We will be Thanks. back at Monday at 7 Eastern, uh, recapping the weekend. Hopefully, uh, we'll have at least one Cavs win to talk about. That would uh, feel pretty damn good. I want to thank everyone that's tuning in live on YouTube. Make sure you like and subscribe. Click that notification bell so you know when we're going live. If you're listening via podcast, leave us a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there until next time go cats